I'm here today with Kayla Walker. She's a private investigator, a former police officer, retired police officer. She was with the police department for about 14 years. And she's here today to share with us her experiences investigating sexual assault accusations, both adult accusations and child sexual assault allegations. She's seen firsthand how easy it is for these cases to get filed, but she's also seen cases that get filed that shouldn't get filed. And she can talk to you about the ramifications of what happens when an accusation is made. So I'm very excited to cover this topic. It's one that comes up frequently. If you're a parent, this is especially a worthwhile watch so you can advise your children on just the realities of the world we live in and how to best protect yourself. Kayla, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Well, tell the audience who you are and a little bit about your background. Uh, my name is Kayla Walker, and I was a patrol cop uh, for the last 14 years, and now have recently joined the dark side, yeah, or what they like to say. But yes, uh, criminal defense investigations is what we're doing now. Okay. So you do essentially private investigation for defense attorneys um, all across North Texas? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Yes. And how long were you in law enforcement? 14 years and some months. And during, during the course of your career, what kind of things did you investigate? Um, all of it. So being in patrol, you luckily get exposed to all different types of issues. Nothing is ever the same. But all of the Texas Penal Code, aggravated assault, assault, sexual assault, I did a lot of those myself being a female in this job. Um, yeah, regular burglaries, boring property crimes, interesting things, suicides, anything you can think of, I've done. So you were a police officer for over a decade. Yes. What made you switch sides? So we had illegal quotas that we were, we? My, my husband and I uh, was also a police officer. At our department, there were illegal quotas okay. that we were being forced to abide by, stops, citations, arrests. And it got to the point where I felt like it was time to inform the public and fight back for their rights and our rights as police officers as well. And it ended up getting to the point that after we blew the whistle on the quotas, it became highly uncomfortable to be patrol officers there anymore. Um, so we made the switch and got into private investigation. And it's been very different, but also very positive as far as we feel like this is what we need to be doing um, to help citizens and especially do the other side of this work that is so, so, so important, the other side of the law, which I never pictured myself 14 years ago being <laughs> on the criminal defense side. Um, but I love it so far. Fantastic. Very needed. You know, I, I talked to... Uh well, having started off as a prosecutor, I still have officers who will talk to me, even though I'm on yeah. the dark side. And dark we, side. we have yeah. a, a partner here that was a homicide detective. So, mm -hmm. you know, we get to see a little bit of both sides. But I commonly hear officers admit, look, I, I really vilified the defense until I understood mm -hmm. what they do. And, yeah. um, you know, I thought I was going to be a career prosecutor. I thought I'd always wear the proverbial white hat. Mm -hmm. But what I realized is there's good people and bad people on both sides. Yes. And unless you have good people on the defense side holding the state to their burden and pointing out flaws mm -hmm. and blowing the whistle when it needs to be blown, yeah. 
you're never going to get justice, right? right? It, it, the state law enforcement has so much power. If you don't have good people to call them out, mm-hmm. they will steamroll you. Oh, I've, I've, yeah. And I, towards the end of my career, it got to the point where, especially after we blew the whistle so publicly on this, um, I would transport, you know, prisoners or, you know, people that were arrested for other officers and, it got to the point that I was seeing things that were very, very petty to try to reach the quota. And so even though that wasn't my arrest, my own tick mark or whatever for the averages, which were our quotas, it was still bothersome to me that I, and I would tell the person I was transporting, like, you should get an attorney like and I and then at that point I knew I was like this is no longer a comfortable thing for me to be participating in or doing or trying to fight relentlessly from the inside and this is where us being on the criminal defense side and helping people that especially the ones that are so blatantly innocent I think it's really important especially with private investigators that have law enforcement experience hire hire those people because as prior law enforcement, we are able to really see flaws in investigations and things that are a little concerning, you know, conversations on the side that a cop may have thought no one's going to watch five hours into this video. Maybe that comment that I made about just arrest him for something petty, like they don't think that that's going to come back up, but then you have investigators that know what to look for. It's, it's, you know, you can make a huge difference. Yes. And I think that that's definitely being proven so far in our short time in this on the dark side. Yeah. So, <laughs> As a female, you've been involved particularly with sexual assault types of cases and allegations. Oftentimes the person making the accusation is a female. So sometimes it helps to have a law enforcement right. uh, person who's also female. They usually save those for the female officers generally. Um, we do have males that do report sexual assaults, but generally overall, I would say it's mostly female. And so part of being a female cop is that we get assigned those first. And I've always, I've never minded that either. I, I wouldn't say I enjoy working sexual assaults, but if anyone's going to do it, a female cop is definitely a positive to have on those cases. So that's what I want to talk about today. Sexual assaults, both adult accusations and accusations involving children, and you've worked both types of cases. Yes, I have. Okay. So it is a common conversation for me to have with clients or potential clients about how the process works. And if you're not in law enforcement, Mm -hmm. if you're not in the legal system every day, a lot of this comes as a surprise, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would think that most people don't wake up and be like, I'm gonna go file a sexual assault report or be the one that's accused of doing such a thing to someone. So I'm sure until you're in that situation, you don't really know how the process goes. Exactly. So let's start with adult cases. Mm -hmm. How is the report generally made to the police department? Usually it is the adult making the report to the police department. However, there have been some cases where an adult has told another adult friend and then that friend or family member has reported it to the police 
on their behalf. So that does happen generally, I would say with adults, it's mostly them reporting, self-reporting the crime okay. that they say happened. Do those reports typically come in either as a 911 call or maybe sometimes folks show up at the police department? Both. Okay. Both. And sometimes we will go out to someone's house if uh, they're making the complaint and we can go take their report at their home. Uh, sometimes people even call from other cities and we will have to travel to the person or the city in which they were in uh, because it depends on where the crime actually occurred. Right. A lot of the times it seems like these are delayed reports, like maybe a day later. So they've gone home or maybe they were in Dallas and they're, you know, had a night out and something happened over that course of their trip to a different city. And so we'll respond to where they are. Okay. So if someone shows up at the police department or you're going out, that's generally someone in patrol that's talking to them? Usually, yes. I think um, maybe smaller departments may actually have detectives that respond initially, but most larger departments, especially in the Metroplex DFW area, they do. Uh, it's a patrol cop that will initially be taking your report. That report is completed and it's sent to a detective usually in major crimes or some, some agencies that are larger actually have like sexual assault um, divisions, so. Right. With adult cases, do you have general guidelines or parameters for when you might recommend that a person go to the hospital, like a period of time that passes, or if it's too much time has passed, maybe you won't make that recommendation? Um, that has changed recently. I'm sure that on your end, you probably see that a lot with your defensive cases. But um, generally, I mean, we do check with the sergeant. I wasn't a sergeant, but um, usually three days is kind of three days or over is you're not sure. And you should probably check and see if sane exam is even worth doing at the time. But um, it's definitely gotten to where the time frame is how do you explain this it's definitely gotten to where it's a lot longer right rather than oh it's been a day and you've taken a shower and okay well let's not even worry about the sane exam because there are still things that you have to do you have to cover as far as evidence goes and we're not the sane nurses so and Within the industry, we, we use this term sane nurse, but it's a sexual assault nurse examiner. Mm -hmm. And it's a special type of uh, examination. Essentially, they're doing a rape kit to see what kind of evidence mm -hmm. they can gather. Correct. Right, right. It's not pleasant for the, the person alleging that uh, the crime. So, yeah. It's, it's pretty in intrusive, both physically, but also mm -hmm. in the questions that are asked. Yes. Right. They might ask a person's sexual history. Mm -hmm not just what allegedly allegedly happened. Correct, right. yes. Okay. Are investigations involving children, children who are making the accusation, different than adult cases? Generally, they are. Um, usually with a child sex assault, there is a complaining witness, the child, and then there's an outcry witness. And so that might be something where the child tells a parent or a teacher or a friend's mother, father, whatever. And the initial information actually comes kind of through the child to the outcry witness. Now, the thing as far as working on the other side of these cases now, 
I was on the state side, technically being a cop first, now working cases on behalf of people that have been accused of this stuff. Things can get really mixed up from the complaining witness to the outcry witness to how it's relayed to detectives, how the whole case is set out. There's multiple people involved in talking to this child. And there's a really disturbing low level of evidence that I've seen that would have somebody arrested, right. if that makes sense. Absolutely. So let's yeah. kind of unpack that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I talk to clients and I say it's almost like dominoes falling. There's mm-hmm. an accusation or an outcry mm-hmm. made by a child. And in Texas, we have something called an outcry witness, as you were describing. That's the first adult the child says, mm-hmm. hey, something happened to me. Right. And lots of special reasons to have an outcry witness in Texas. But essentially, that person can testify just like they were the child. Mm-hmm. So there's a statement made to the outcry witness. The outcry witness then potentially calls law enforcement or should call law enforcement. Mm -hmm. There's a statement next made potentially to a forensic interviewer with CPS. Mm -hmm. You have the same exam, right? Yep. Even for a child. Mm -hmm. So, as you said, lots of different statements are being made about what supposedly happened. Right. But your experience is, even if there are inconsistencies... Detectives end up filing cases. Yes. Yes. It's much different on this side of things, watching how these cases unfold, because it also, obviously, as a cop for 14 years, I got the initial report. I got the evidence or, or their statements, and I sent it off to a detective and forensic people and for them to do their part of it. However, being on this side where I'm actually getting here, we have a person that has been accused of sexual assault of a child from three years ago. And, you know, they were a nanny or whatever to this child. Like, it it is disturbing the lack of actual evidence that it can take for you to be sitting in jail being accused of such a horrific thing. Uh, That's different for me on this this side of things. I've never really, and then you do feel that, I'm sure as as, as an attorney, you feel the desperation for your clients too, because it's pretty crazy. I don't suggest um, babysitting other children or anything like that. I know that sounds like drastic, but it can happen to anyone. Yeah, so much, so much there. So let's kind of cover those topics. Mm -hmm. First of all, you're alluding to probable cause. That's the standard for an arrest, right? And so the law doesn't require the detective to speak to the person accused, doesn't require the detective to consider any defenses. Right. It's just, are there facts that suggest an offense has taken place, right? Mm -hmm. And you talked about, hey, there's such a lack of evidence, yet you and I know all that's required for a detective to file a case is for a person to say something happened. Right, which is really disturbing in itself. And so you get an accusation made, Mm -hmm. these dominoes start falling, and almost inevitably, someone's going to get arrested. Mm -hmm. Right? Maybe but for video evidence that it didn't happen, which almost never exists, possibly if there's a recantation, although I've seen cases get filed even when there's a Mm -hmm. recantation, Mm -hmm. right? Which is shocking to most people that 
pretty crazy, yeah. Right. Um, it, it's shocking to most people that the state's expert will get up and say, well, there are a lot of reasons a person re would recant or say it didn't happen. They'll mm -hmm. get up and say, well, the child may have felt pressure. Right. Um, they lots don't of go attention. Through, yeah, yeah. Right. But the flip side of that coin is there are a lot of reasons why even a child might make something up. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That that's that was the most surprising thing I think to me as far as um, the fact that you could be arrested without even ever having spoken to any detective or no no even what you're being accused of at all. Uh, so you definitely need to get an attorney as quickly as possible. That's for sure, and that's the number one thing I would suggest to anyone and everyone. Um, Don't talk to the police. <laughs> That's actually, that's number, yeah, that's true. Actually, that's the first thing I'm going to say. Coming from a cop, no. which is kind of weird. Well, I'm retired now, but yes, do not talk to, to the police. Um, talk to an attorney first. And you said something going back to people will say a lot of things for a lot of different reasons. Right. I actually did one of my most memorable cases working as a patrol officer with a sexual assault outcry from an adult, adult female, uh, a professional woman, uh, never been in trouble in her life, nothing like that. She created an entire fake sexual assault for unknown reasons to us. Wow. But as she was at the hospital, actually hooked up to monitors and things when I started asking her more questions because it doesn't, it didn't make sense. You could see her heart rate literally like rising on the the monitor. And so it was like almost having like a human like lie detector right. <laughs> test. But she ended up saying that she just, she had made up this entire rape incident because she just didn't like that the guy she'd actually gone on a date with was just too aggressive and tried to kiss her. And so, so she therefore made up an entire, very detailed, massive, rape story yeah so that could happen to anybody right that's you know if there's a psa in this video it's you've got to be so careful about who you're with and who you give the opportunity to say something about you right because yes. um, we certainly see a lot of consensual mm -hmm. sexual encounters that the next morning all of a sudden mm -hmm. are alleged to have been without consent all right. Sometimes I call that regret sex, regret sex. You yeah. hear buyer's remorse mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because, you know, perhaps the person who was involved in the sexual act has a significant other. They wake up the next morning and now, mm -hmm. hey, I don't want to get blamed for what I've happened last that. night. Yeah. So many reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly not to say that there aren't many, many real victims out there. Right. But when you're on this side of things, you unfortunately get to see a huge number of people who are falsely accused. And that happens. Mm -hmm. um, when you're talking about adults, lots of reasons, lots of reasons that don't make sense. Yeah. But I think a lot of times alleged victims know how devastating that accusation can be. Just the accusation alone. They, they don't, I don't think that they realize the entire follow-up that takes place, uh, that's so damaging. I mean, terrible. Like that's almost, I've been telling people since working the defense side of cases, it's, it is incredibly disturbing 
the amount of people that are accused of things that haven't even been spoken to and are very clearly innocent. And I'm also very weary. I, I have conversations with my son about things like, unfortunately, don't talk to the police unless we tell you it's okay. And he's got three cop parents, you know, his stepdad, his dad, me. And so I think that that is definitely very important before you say anything that you consult with an attorney like yourself or just don't say anything at all until you can speak with one. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, particularly for folks who are innocent, they have this internal desire to just set the record straight, not understanding the detective only cares about probable cause. You are going to get arrested. Nothing you say is going to prevent that detective Mm -hmm. from arresting you. And Mm -hmm. that's really been my experience. Have you seen the same thing Mm -hmm. on your end? Yes. Uh, I actually just watched a video within the past month that was pretty disturbing to watch from a cop's and a retired cop's point of view. Now working this side, the games that we were taught, I say that we were taught as police officers in the academy and how to get people to say certain things. I know it's glaringly obvious now what someone is trying to do, but it's different whenever it's my client or, you know, who I've been hired to protect, watching them sit there and struggle through this interrogation where detectives saying, you know, if you, you don't talk to me, this is not a sexual assault case of a child. If you don't want to talk to me, fine, we'll take you to jail. You can call your lawyer, but I'm going to talk to you anyway. I'm going to find time to talk to you. So you can either talk to me now or we're going straight to jail, you know? And so it's that, you know, even making up something as, as trivial, it's not trivial, but making up a blatant lie about DNA evidence that there could be, is there going to be your DNA evidence on this child from three years ago? My client doesn't understand how DNA evidence works. It's all little traps and tricks. And now from this side, I get it even more so of how damaging it is to subject people to things like that. And she, she asked for attorney multiple times and still just glazed over it. And she, I mean, people need help. They need someone on their side, especially when dealing with police. And I can say that because I've been there, done that. And what most people don't know or have reason to know is law enforcement agents can lie to you during the course of their investigation. So that's, from their perspective, that's perfectly acceptable to do. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll, you'll have officers walk in or a detective walk in and say, well, I know you did X, Y, and Z, knowing the person probably didn't do X and Y, but it's so terrible, the things Mm -hmm. they're describing. Hopefully the person will say, no, no, no. Only thing I did was Z. Or (laughs) like you said, say, well, we have this evidence. We have cell phone evidence already. We already know what Mm -hmm. happened. You know, you can help yourself by talking. Those are all mm-hmm. the things that we hear so commonly. Yeah. I know you're not a monster. Right. I know you want to just, I know you're not a monster. I know you you probably didn't mean to touch this child this way. You know, it's like the trap of that. Absolutely. And then being like, I don't, I don't think maybe I could have picked the child up and something happened when I picked her up. Like, I don't know, you know, and it's just so, oh gosh, so painful to watch. Right. That on this side now, especially because I, I know cops lie because they'll lie to other cops during an internal investigations and things like that. So what in the world would make them not try to get that 
win or get that probable cause or you know my buddies are watching on the the screen and they want to see how well I interrogate people and I'm gonna you know and it's just it's when you're dealing with people's lives and the fact that it could happen to you or anybody else it definitely makes me think this is not a game you know yeah, yeah. that probable cause arrest means now you're facing a charge you might lose your job you're gonna have to bond out for maybe thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. You'll probably be going to court month after month for years before the oh, case yeah. is resolved. Yeah. Even though there's no evidence other than a person saying it happened, right. you might end up in trial. Right. I mean, that's enough for a prosecutor to say, hey, mm -hmm. we're not dumping this thing. We're gonna keep fighting and we want you to have a conviction for this. We want you to register as a sex offender. We want you to go to prison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing you should also give a PSA on, speaking of that, is the dating, the Romeo and Juliet. Absolutely. That is something that I know I'm going to have to talk to my son about. With it being, uh, we've had a lot of those. And now, luckily, there is, you know, the three-year thing. But still, like, who's to say that your teenage son or daughter won't, you know, start dating someone in their high school that is outside of that Exactly. That range. Right. And the trauma that that could cause to the rest of your life because maybe you were, you know, 18 and dating someone that was, you know, a freshman. Right. Like, who knows? Right. You know, so that's definitely something to be yeah. aware that, of. That's not so far-fetched, right? You're both not at, at the same school, seeing each other every day. Mm -hmm. It's hard to look at a person and know their age. Right. right. So you get involved in a physical relationship yeah. with someone, all of a sudden you may have committed a sexual offense where you have to register as a sex offender. And yes, we've certainly had those cases where I've got an 18 year old who met mm -hmm. someone in their school and now a prosecutor wants them to register as a sex offender for the rest of their life. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to do a better job of educating our children, mm -hmm. kids in school, kids going to college um, about the dangers that are out there when you have oh, absolutely online dating, underage yeah. sexting, you know, all mm -hmm. those things. If you're if you're of age and you're getting pictures from someone that's underage, lots of complications. Fortunately, Texas has reduced that to a class C misdemeanor, but should a Fed become interested in it, it's still a federal offense, right? To it's have pictures of someone under the age of 18. Right. And that's not a risk that you're you should take. Right. So I just suggest talking very openly with your kids. And my son is only 10, but there's already things happening in you know, fifth grade that are things that we have to talk about a lot earlier than we probably would have wanted to. Right. Uh, I don't know. How old are you? I'm 40. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in our generation, it, it's it, we didn't have all the social media right. and the accessibility of these things, right. especially with like, pornography online and stuff like that. So I think just being very aware and being very open with your kids about right. things, the dangers that could happen with yeah. all of this, so. And parents have to be equally careful. There was a, um, there's a local, very affluent public school district where I suppose the seniors had been saving a Dropbox full of oh gosh. girls' pictures, right? And oh boy. Let's put aside the criminal offenses happening there. Mm -hmm. A parent got a hold of the Dropbox, and that's how it came to our attention. And what the parent had then was child pornography, right? So it's one thing for oh, kids to be sexting. It's another thing for parents to discover that. Uh -huh. And now you have what's contraband, right? So wow. there are exceptions in the laws that say if you immediately destroy it, you might be absolved of 
being criminally responsible. But most people don't know that. You know, the mm-hmm. parent called us because they're saying, hey, I'm concerned about what my child is doing. What ramifications are there? They're not even thinking about themselves. No, definitely not. That's a really good point. I've never even actually thought about that. So, yeah. Lots of dangers. Yes. And I would I would say that this is up there with the worst of the worst things to be accused of. Absolutely. In my opinion. So, um, sure. yeah. I mean, I've Get had a people, lawyer. <laughs> uh, I've certainly had people tell me they'd rather be charged with murder, right, than a sexual offense. And that's mm-hmm. that's true. For murder, you're potentially looking at a prison sentence. With any sexual offense, you're looking at a prison sentence, registration as a sex offender. You're never going to be able to work anywhere. You're felon. Oh, and then the the just reputation of having that. I can't think of anything worse right. than having a sex offender registration requirement for you, especially, especially if it was a false accusation to begin with. Right. You know, one of the ramifications we haven't talked about is just being accused means you're going to have bond conditions set mm-hmm. that could keep you away from your own children that might require you to move out of your house. Mm-hmm. And so although we talk about the presumption of innocence and until there's a plea or a finding of guilt, you're presumed innocent. Mm-hmm. The reality is when you're under those bond conditions, you're going to feel like everyone has already judged you oh, yeah. and decided you're guilty. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I can speak on this. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, this case is not is is done with. But I had a case sort of like that where he had been accused in high school of taking advantage or, or doing something that this, this girl did not want to do. However, shockingly, I don't know how this happened. Uh, I didn't ask too many questions into this part, but he actually had it on video or his phone or something like that, which I do not suggest doing that. However, that did save him from that charge. But then he was later accused of another sexual assault of this woman that he engaged, it was alleged, right? But because he had been accused before, like three three years before, I think is when that happened in high school, mm. that that stuck. Right. Even right. though he proved that he was innocent on that, right. that was something that was mentioned right. to people involved in this case, witnesses, oh, well, this guy has already been accused of this before. So this is why this is really important, you know? And so even if you're proven innocent, it still somehow makes its way back to what people are going to think about current accusations and things going on. So it's, yeah, you're right. Accusations alone are very dangerous as well. They can be devastating. What's your opinion on people that are proven to make false complaints? What, What should happen? What's your opinion on that? What I would like to see happen is on the criminal side for them to face following a false report charge Mm -hmm. and on the civil side be responsible for all the expenses and hardships that they've caused this person to go through. Yeah. The reality, as you know, is that almost never happens Mm -hmm. on either front. On the criminal front, you rarely see someone getting accused of filing a false report. Um, And on the civil side, it's hard to go after them. Yeah. The girl I was talking about that actually admitted that, yes, okay, I, I did make this up. No false report, nothing. Like, yeah. So there's really no um, consequences, it seems like, a lot of the times for doing that. And I can kind of see, like, the state not wanting to pursue those just in case it is one of those instances where they do recant, but something really did happen. Now we have the serial rapist, you know, out there. Right. 
we don't want to charge, you know, people with false report if we don't, you know, aren't a thousand percent sure. But how come someone that actually admits to, yes, I, I made all of this up, cost all this manpower, cost this guy's reputation. Why are we not filing on those specific cases? You know, great. You know, and the state could, in theory, agree to an immediate expunction, which they don't do, right? They could at least say, he's gone through enough, he or she has gone through enough Mm -hmm. trouble, let's agree to destroy all these records. But once again, although that's a legal possibility, you don't see them doing that. Mm. Yeah, they should, in my opinion, but who am I? We've had cases where two people are involved in consensual sexual activity, Mm -hmm. BDSM type activity that Mm -hmm. left very obvious bruises and marks on the other person. Right. right. That person then came in contact with law enforcement, not because they called the police, but mm-hmm. because the police were there for something else. And the wrong police officer is going to start making some assumptions about, hey, why do you have bruises all over you? Mm-hmm. Right. And it may not occur to them that, hey, two people might engage in activity right. that you might not be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Right. And so trying to prove after the fact that, no, this was all consensual right. is difficult. So that's where the idea of, hey, you should have something in writing that says, yeah. these are the things that I've agreed to. These are the things that are my hard limits. I'm not going to go past that. And your safe word. And put your safe word in there. No, exactly. <laughs> it's like you've looked at my contract. But no, those, those, those are those I got to look into this contract. Yeah. <laughs> no, these are all good things, right? It's just a yeah. free form that people can use to hopefully prevent them mm. from facing charges, right? A lot of people would just be like, there's no way. Yeah. But cops in general, should know about all the weird things that may go on (laughs) in everybody's bedrooms. And, you know, that's not a terrible idea to have a contract. Well, it might ruin the mood. Yeah. Like what? (laughs) You're like, I need this notarized (laughs) that you're not willing to do X, Y, Z. The other reality, though, is let's put aside law enforcement for a moment. Two people, right? You might get upset with your partner one day and then all of a sudden you're empowered to make accusations based on bruises or Mm -hmm. whatever else and falsely claim, hey, that was without consent. So anything you can do to protect yourself is a good idea. I think it's a great idea. So just so you know, if you need a BDSM contract. (laughs) Good versus Texas.com. Benson's got it. (laughs) Yeah, go to our website. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, I think that's about it. Okay, so your husband is David. Yes. What do you have a name for your company? It's Private Investigation Endeavors. Okay. And if someone wanted to find you, how would they find you? Uh, we're on the internet, all over it. Uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. We're all over it. So. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you again for thank being here. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are awesome.